Welcome to the Men of Magic, an interview podcast that gets into the lives of your favorite Magic the Gathering personalities with your hosts, Robert Martin and Chris Atla. And now, the Men of Magic begins. Welcome to another episode of the Men of Magic. This week, I'm joined by the gentleman who is the busiest man in magic. You see him at every SCG Live event. You see him at Gigi's live events. You see him doing coverage for Wizards at Pro Tour events. This is a man who has revolutionized our ability to enjoy magic and has probably brought more people to playing magic because of his coverage. I am talking about the man who created Gigi's Live, Rashad Miller. Hey, how you doing? Wonderful. You forgot every Grand Prix also. Oh, every Grand Prix. I apologize. It's okay. <laughs> you know, you, you, I can't expect you to do remember everything that I've done. It's not like you, the laundry list is not long. I know we talked about this the first time we talked, but for those people who don't know, where did the concept of Gigi's Live come from? Well, it originally uh, came from, well, it was me and Ray. We were watching a Street Fighter tournament stream. And uh, Ray was like, hey, why doesn't Magic have something like this? I'm giving you the abridged version because mm-hmm. um, I guess I gave a longer version on the first time you interviewed me. Yes. And on um, Untapped, I also just did an interview. I gave them the long version. But the short version is we were watching a Street Fighter stream. Ray was like, hey, why doesn't Magic have anything like this? And a month later, I decided that Magic should have something like this. So... We kind of started small with PTQs and grew to doing things at Gen Con, and now we're at uh, Grand Prix and doing SCG stuff. Let's talk about how this all came together with SCG Live. They approached you with doing large-scale coverage for them. How did how did that come together? Well, it started before it was actually there was SCG Live um, at the beginning when um, Star City switched over from their tournament series being a 5K to it actually being the SCG Open, uh, Pete Hoefling contacted me uh, sort of in the beginning when he was setting up all of his, you know, setting up the actual tournament structure, setting up, uh, having other coverage like uh, getting Bill Stark to to do coverage there. And he approached me, I was like, hey, how can I get you guys to, you know, commit to doing what you've been doing? for our open series. Uh, so I did the whole open series last year. And then um, Evan, th- this was before Evan had came on to, um, you know, the Star City family. Mm-hmm. And he got there and then he, you know, he had this vision of SCG Live. And he was like, hey, do you want to be the technology behind SCG Live? And, you know, I'm, I'm here to make sure that you guys can watch some good games live. So, I mean, how can I really say no? So that's really how I got involved with SCG Live, uh, particularly. A lot of people don't understand the amount of what it takes to put together an event like that for the people to see. You pack literally, I think it was, what, five large things, including a golf bag, the box that holds the basically the brains of the show, and other stuff like that. You have to pack that up and take that everywhere you go. How long does it take to set up for an event? Are you talking just setting up at the event? Or at the in- event. At the event, I 
if it's a SCG live event, which means that I'm there by myself, uh, I usually get to the site around 8 o'clock and I'm done setting everything up between 10 and 11, two and a half hours of setting stuff up, making sure everything's working right. People have asked this year that you've come out from behind doing all the stuff in the background to be on camera more, not for the SCG live stuff, but for the good games live stuff. You have let yourself kind of go back to the technology role and less on the camera. Why is that? Now, are you talking for GG's Live, or are you talking still SCG Live? For GG's Live. Well, for GG's Live, I am trying to get more people involved in the technology. I have actually brought uh, people specifically to do you know, the director's role, as it would be for GG's Live, and then I would be available to do, um, you know, being on camera, do some commentary. And actually, the last few GPs, I think I've I've done more commentary than I have done in the past. Uh, now, there's still some other things that I try to make sure gets done, you know, because even if I, if I bring someone to do technology stuff, I still need to make sure everyone, you know, has breaks, gets food, things like that. There are other things that are small, trivial things that sometimes some piece of equipment, I have to go get a new piece of equipment at the event, and I try to keep myself mostly available in case anything weird like that happens, and I like to give people, you know, an opportunity, because when we're at Grand Prix, there are a lot of pros there, and they love getting in the booth, and I'm not going to be the person who says no. No, like no Brian Kibler, no yeah. Paulo Vito, Domodoro. So you can't come to the booth. I'm going to do some commentary. But uh, I know I, if, if you watch the beginnings of every Grand Prix, I'm in the booth for at least, you know, the first few rounds. And then once pros start getting available, we try to bring those guys in and I try to take care of everybody, really. A rotating team of people that help you, depending on who's available to do what tournament for Good Games Live because the SCG Live is your stuff. How do you put that together? I mean, you and Ray have been, like, mainstays of this, but you've brought other people in to help out to do different events. Recently, I have had, you know, uh, it'll be me and Ray, as long as we're both available. I try to always be available, but there was one event that Ray could not make it to, and we are kind of the two people who know the most about, you know, the organization and the things that need to happen. Mm -hmm. Um, I also have been bringing a friend of mine, Rusty Kubis, who has been helping out a lot with um, our advertisement. And not only that, but he has uh, committed to come down to each of the the GPs and, you know, run the equipment to be the director. Uh, Now, aside from that, that's kind of the core group. Uh, I try, if available, if I, you know, am able to raise enough money from advertisement to try to bring in a pro that isn't already going to the event who would like to, you know, volunteer their time for the benefits of our viewers. And that, that person, I usually just kind of look, I look at the map to see where to try to figure out where a person would be that wouldn't go to that Grand Prix and then ask if, you know, 
one, are you actually going to the Grand Prix and plan? And if not, do you, you know, want to come and do some commentary with us? So I don't really have, there isn't really a formula. It's mostly just, I go on my Facebook, kind of scroll through the people on Facebook, and then, you know, if, if you're online at Facebook and you meet the criteria, I'll probably just chat you on Facebook and then see if you want to come. Well, one of the things that I really enjoyed about being at Grand Prix Denver with you was the fact that you and Rusty have a tremendous amount of teamwork together, and you talked about what he's provided for you. How is that relationship made the overall product better? Well, it was always a struggle for me to try to get anyone consistently to come out and help. In the beginning, it was just me and Ray, and we were two-person, all of these events, and it it's a little bit tiring being only two people there and just hoping that, you know, a pro will come by the booth. They have to come to the booth and save you, basically, because you're stuck there. It's just you, it's just me and Ray, so we can't really go anywhere else. Having a third person that has committed to always come uh, helps put some more structure into, like, instead of me having to run the cameras, run the score, and do commentary, you know, I could just concentrate on doing commentary, and Ray can concentrate on doing commentary while Rusty does, you know, life totals, camera changes, things like that. And just having those jobs isolated, I think it gives everyone who's doing each of those individual jobs a better, it just becomes a better outcome. The the production is just better for each of those individual um, aspects of the of the program. People do not realize that you actually have a full time job. Most people think that doing all this coverage is how you earn your income. Well, that's not true. But that will <laughs> that rumor we will put to rest immediately. You have a full time job. I do have a full time job, a very demanding full time job. And now, can you tell people what you do? Well, I work for a company called NetHawk, which was recently bought by another company called Expo. But, you know, that's the way telecommunications work. It's a, telecommun- a telecommunications company where um, we sell protocol analyzers and simulators. And I work in the department that deploys these analyzers and simulators and support customers who buy our product. So you are on the road for your job also? Not as much as I used to be. Uh, most of the cu- customers that I work with are all in the are all in the Chicagoland area, so I just you know drive twenty thirty minute drive. How has the demands of a job that is difficult and demanding and the travel schedule you had? How's that been on you? I don't have a lot of free time to say the least. I usually end up I work Monday through Friday. At Friday after work. I fly to either, you know, SCG event or a Grand Prix, um, do the Grand Prix, Grand Prix or the SCG live event ends at whatever time on Sunday. And then Monday morning, I fly back home and try to get back in Chicago around eight o'clock so that I can start working again. What the problem is, is that this is like a 70 hour work week every week. When there's weekends that you do not have an event, is that basically your downtime? 
I mean, I guess it's downtime. I usually don't travel anywhere, but there's still things that I end up needing to do. But you get to actually have a normal sleep schedule on that we on those kind of weekends. Yeah, I I am not, you know, going off of four or five hours sleep, which can happen sometimes. And actually, um, a lot of times with the SCG events on Sundays, we end pretty late, and then I have to, you know, pack everything up. And then I'm ended up going to the airport the next day around four or five o'clock. So I don't usually get a lot of sleep Sunday nights. But I think I'm doing okay on the sleep all the other nights. Even, you know, the Saturday night going into the Sunday, I can usually get six hours of sleep, which is usually enough. Now, I know they said because of uh, logistics when I was talking uh, to Jared with our interview with him that it's impossible to do the rounds and get to the finals completing standard in a day. If that could be adjusted and actually completed the same day, would that be easier for you? Because you now would have two rounds that you wouldn't have to, to do. That's the way the SCG opens used to be before SCG live. They, they would finish the whole standard event on Saturday slash Sunday morning, no matter how long it took. And a couple of, a couple of 10 round events where, you know, the tournament ended two or three o'clock in the morning. Those were pretty rough, but usually the tournament would end around midnight, maybe one o'clock in the morning. Uh, what I would think if that were changed is because these tournaments have been getting bigger. Like I haven't been to a tournament that's been less than nine rounds. I don't think for standard and there were multiple eight round tournaments in the SCG open prior to SCG live, which would be what a year and a half ago, however long that was. But if we were to finish the whole standard event on Saturday slash Sunday morning and then got back up again Sunday for legacy, I guess, I guess you get a little bit more sleep. Because the legacy coverage wouldn't start till maybe 11 o'clock. And then 3 to 11, you get to sleep. I know it's hard to, it's kind of hard to do the math and you have to take into account people who are watching this event. Who, yes. Who's going to be staying up? Who wants to stay up at 3 o'clock in the morning to, you know, to, to watch the finals? Especially if the finals are happening, if we're in California and we're at 3 o'clock in the morning, you know, nobody's watching it. When you do the event by yourself, the mixed pairings, how has that been for you? Has it been difficult to, because you're not used to having the same two people in the booth every time when they do the booth. Has it been easy, difficult? The, I mean, the only real thing that changes between, you know, the variety of people who end up doing the commentating is mic levels, because there's some people who are really soft-spoken, and then there are some people who are really loud, and, you know, adjusting the microphones to those two people, you know, that happens in the first hour of the show, and then after that, there really isn't any difference between, you know, what happens from that point on from any of the events, so it isn't really that big of a deal, and we're obviously speaking from a technology point of view. You've been rather helpful to these guys. Have you give them any advice? Well, it's hard to give 
advice on what they're saying because of the way that things are structured. I can't really hear what they're saying. Um, now, what I have done was, you know, told them, hey, you need to take breaks. Anytime there's a third person in the booth, that's a great time for one of the two people just to leave and let those two people talk. You really don't need three people in the booth. You should take every opportunity to have a break whenever you're not leaving someone, you know, in a booth by themselves. That's the biggest thing that I have, you know, let them know that they should do. As far as what they're actually saying, it's hard for me to keep track of, you know, how they're doing as a commentator because I have other people. I have plenty of people talking in my ear and things going on. You get a great reception when you show up. When I was with you at Grand Prix Denver, Brad Nelson comes up to you and says, I need a high five. All the pros come up to you and talk to you. Judges talk to you. Event coordinators talk to you. What is it like to be kind of these? I, I kind of equated it to being a rock star. What is that like to have all the people involved with this really in, are close to you? Well, I have gotten close to people in the magic community because I've been involved in all of those things. I've been a judge. I've been a pro. I've been at Pro Tours. I've been playing at Pro Tours. I've I've worked with a lot of tournament organizers in the magic community. So all these people know me. They've already known me from something else that I've done with magic. And now I am, you know, the guy that started, you know, Good Games Live. So now, I mean, they already knew me. So I don't know that it's, they're like, whoa, I love what you've done. Let me, you know, become friendly with you. We've already been friends. And now their friend is bringing something else to the magic community that they like. So, you know, they're, they're obviously going to get behind me. The magic community is a real intricate web of people that once you're in the community, you can come to an event and people come up to you and say hi and things like that. It's almost like a, a large family, I would like to say, like an extended family. Yeah. It has to be rewarding because in many cases, like in your case with the grind of it, to be able to have people come up to you and say, hey, how's it going? You know, thanks for all this and all that. Does that provide extra motivation to continue Doing this, you know, I think it does. The one of the big reasons why I always found myself at events, at you know, in some capacity, either as a judge or as a player, and now doing coverage, is because I like seeing all these people. And I think one of the one of the reasons that I created Good Games Live is, you know, I needed a another reason to you know go to all the Grand Prix and stuff like stuff like that. See all my you know, all the pro friends, all my judge friends, all the TOs that, you know, I made friends with, all the people at, you know, Wizards of the Coast that I made friends with. It's, I like traveling, and I like traveling to magic events. And I think, even when I was a judge, a lot of the reasons that I became a judge is so that I can, you know, hang out with all my judge friends at whatever far off land we went to. Where do you envision this going next couple of years what would you like to have the viewers see when they watch a good games live event or an scg live event well i think there needs to be more actual created content because there's only so much content that's readily just out there when you go to a when you go to a grand prix and you're just watching matches 
you know, you watch a match, match is done. There needs to be something else there instead of, you know, talking to a pro, this, that, or other. I think what I want is for the viewers who watch, who watch a Grand Prix from home, I want them to feel like that they're really experiencing the Grand Prix and not just watching the feature matches because there's more to a Grand Prix than just standing at the feature match area waiting for a match to happen. There's so much other things going on. There's, you know, there's artists, there's vendors, there's just a whole atmosphere. And I think I want to somehow capture that atmosphere better and provide that to the people who are watching. The pre-recorded segments is not a bad idea. I had, I watch as much as I can. Um, obviously with the wife and kids it's difficult, but I do try to watch as much as I can because I am a fan. Uh, first and foremost, what I've thought of that we thought of is pre- you said pre-recorded content. It's like having another camera and an interview person to go around and talk to, like on Friday. For example, it's Friday night when the pros have time and they come into the fir- place the first time. You sit down with someone like the people like for SCG Live's events. You're going to have Jerry T on. You're going to have AJ on. You're going to have Edgar Flores on. To sit down with them the day before, have them talk about their deck, what they think the game may be. It's a five-minute segment. So after their match, you go to the cut segment of them talking about, you know, what my deck is, and and then if there's time afterwards, cut back to the booth. There's Jerry. There's one of the guys. You've got the feeling of, I saw the match. He explained the deck. He tells me what he sees for the metagame. And now he's in the booth, and now he's talking to me. No, that's that's uh, actually a great idea. Uh, the only thing is that there is a there is a limitation on the number of people, obviously, that can be brought to these events. Yes. And it's... It's a, you know, we're looking at, you know, either having another person just doing this or just an additional time commitment from someone. And personally, I think that I don't have much time to do many other things, you know, with the job and with, you know, going to these events. Um, It's obviously a possibility, but I think it boils down to more people. If you look at any any other television production, yes. we are nowhere near the amount of people that they have staffed for these things. This is basically a skeleton crew. SCG Live, GG's Live, everything. Yeah, and that's one of the things that I also wanted to bring up with, with the viewers is the fact that, you know, you talked about it being now it's up to a three-man group. If you would have to do this I mean, even if my suggestion would be a viable, you would have to have a fourth person that would have to go the day ahead of time on Friday to get them to do all this stuff. Someone would have to videotape these segments for you to put them in play. Then you would be flying in, getting the segments, and have to edit them in. That's another step of it's a plane ticket, it's an additional night of the hotel room, and it's whatever is involved with paying for it. You provide meals, you provide a room, travel. That does not come cheap. I understand the logistics behind it. I just want other people to understand that this is groundbreaking, yet it's not 
It's not for profit. <laughs> I, I have not made a profit. So uh, everyone out there that thinks that I am balling from Gigi's Live funds, that's not the case. Not at all. I want, I mean, like I said, I have that same vision that you have for it because obviously we would all want it to have, you know, people, you see the people complain about, oh, why don't they have different camera angles? Why don't they have this? Why don't they have that? And every time I read one of those, the first thing that runs through my mind is, just like you explained it, okay, that requires another piece of equipment. How much does that cost? Okay, that requires the equipment that you have to be able to handle that. If your equipment can't handle that, there's another new piece of equipment. You're also talking about, if you want to do other things like that, there's people involved with this. To get to where you want it to be, it's obviously... you. More money is going to have to be generated to do this, but there can be a bigger vision of what it could be. Is that safe to say? Yes. Okay. It's also safe to say that if you'd like to help us achieve that vision, we do have a tip jar on our website. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, because that, well, no, you're right, and I think the one thing that people don't understand is that it's. You're providing the coverage for free. This isn't a pay-per-view service, which very easily this could be legitimized as a pay-per-view product. I mean, it could be because you're providing something that's unique. I just want to give people the vision or the picture of what's involved with it to understand what they're getting. And a lot of the people that complain about it, that I affectionately call them trolls, they only see this little small picture on their screen. I think there are enough people who actually understand and appreciate exactly what's going on. So that that's enough to keep me happy and going. About your connection with Wizards. Now, you have gotten to do... You were at Paris when everybody yes. got sick. <laughs> yes, I even got sick. I got sick in Paris, and I didn't know what it was, but I felt horrible. How did Wizards come to you to... Do to be a part of it. I mean, I guess that's the largest stage you could be on. And you were there, and I believe Evan was there, and I can't remember who else I saw on camera there. But how did they approach you with this? Well, it started because Randy, Randy Bueller, mm -hmm. he left his position um, as one of the commentators for the Top 8 webcast, in which case... Um, Richard Hagen filled his shoes. So it became Richard Hagen and Brian David Marshall in the booth for the Top 8 broadcast. Now, previously, during the Top 8 broadcast, Richard Hagen was the floor reporter. So he was the guy on the floor giving updates from the other matches to uh, Randy and BDM. So Greg Collins at Wizards needed someone to fill in the shoes that Richard Hagen was leaving open, and Greg offered this position to me because of the coverage that I had already started doing with GD's Live, doing some Grand Prix and some, you know, some other events, some SCG Live stuff, some TCG player stuff, things at Gen Con. So he said, "Hey, you already have experience with coverage, and you have experience being on the top eight stage because before that, I used to be the spotter." for the top eight uh, uh, broadcast. So he says, hey, with the with those two experiences, it seems like this would be a perfect fit for you. And how can I say no to that? 
So said, yeah, and that was, um, this is my second year of being in this position. So uh, I was actually at every pro tour last year in the same position. Are you going to be at Worlds this year? I will be. Be at Worlds. I'll be in Nagoya in a few weeks. How did you manage to swing that with work? Um, my work is has been very accommodating from from a vacation standpoint. My my boss is a really nice guy, and I have not, you know, I don't look a good a gift horse in the mouth. I just had, I asked for the vacation. I actually when I first took the job, I let him know that uh, this was something that I was doing, but it was uh, it wasn't as coverage. It was because either I would end up playing at the Pro Tour or I would judge it. So I let them know, hey, there's four events a year that I want to be able to go to. Can you, you know, be accommodating for those events? And, you know, he said, sure, we can make that happen. And so far, it's been it's been okay with them. So keep my fingers crossed. Well, you're very fortunate. Uh, a lot of employers nowadays would say, because, you know, obviously we're not exactly in a great economy right now, that they would be like, your job's got to be first, and it's nice to see that uh, an employer can look at something that you do, that you have a passion for, and say, hey, I respect that. Let's make it happen. But let's also now talk about the fact that you're going to Nagoya. How much fun is it going to be? Well, this is going to be my fifth time in Japan. I don't think I've actually been to Nagoya, so I know I'm going to have fun because Japan is my favorite place. I, I always love every every trip I've been to Japan. It just gets better and better. So I'm, I'm going to have fun. Are you going ahead of time? No, because I need to be there already Tuesday. That's when I need to land in Nagoya for coverage meetings and just getting prepared and things. So I'm already flying out Monday, and I don't. I try not to take more than a week off for these things. So. When you go to these meetings for coverage, how long are they and what happens during them? Are they planning out how it's going to go? Or Yeah, it's mostly just planning out the weekend, letting they're making sure everyone knows what is expected, what topics need to be covered. Um, usually for me, it's always the same thing because I'm mostly in charge of like the metagame stuff. Um, so it doesn't really change much for me. And uh, so it's like, okay, we need this this aspect of the show to be covered, especially if there's something special going on, like if there's Game of the Year or if there's, like, a special party, things like that. Just divvying up all of the things that are happening at that weekend amongst all of the coverage reporters. Let's say that Rich Hagen's plane can't make it to Nagoya in time, and they say, Rashad, we need you in the booth with BDM. I say awesome. <laughs> That's what I say. Is that? I mean, not awesome that Richard Hagen can't yeah. make it because you know I love Richard Hagen, but awesome that if they're like, "Hey, Rashad, you wanna you wanna do it?" Of course, I'm gonna say yes. If they expand their coverage, like the rumor has been talked about, and a lot of it has to do with the fact of what you've done, because people now, when the pro tour happens you get very trickled information, and you're limited by what you can provide. If they expand the coverage, Rich and BDM cannot be in the booth the equivalent of what an SCG Live event would be, 
or a Gigi's live event would be. If that opportunity comes up and they say, okay, we want to put you and Evan in the booth together for round four of the standard part of this tournament, and they expand it like that, would that be an opportunity you would jump on? Awesome. <laughs> you know, they, uh, if you I don't know if you've read the article that uh, Brian David Marshall put up on Daily MTG, but he, he had an interview with, with uh, Scott Larrabee. Mm-hmm. Who and they actually said in the interview that the expanded coverage for Pro Tours will include live coverage of matches on Friday and Saturday. So I don't I don't know if you knew that, but that's actually was answered in one of his uh, questions in that interview. So that would mean there could be opportunity. There could be. And what would that moment be for you? Because I mean, you've done. GG's Live, you've done GPs, but this is the next stage. And it's pretty much, right now, there's Wizards coverage, and there's your coverage. Really, everybody else does what we do. We podcast, or write articles, or whatever. What would it be like sitting in the Major League booth, besides awesome? (laughs) Besides awesome. Well, I always envisioned that I would just be myself, which is what I, mean, I think that's what being a commentator, commentator what being a personality on television, radio, webcast, that's what it's about. It's about your personality being showcased in that media. So, I mean, my plan would just be, you know, just be myself and hopefully they like it and have some fun. I think... For those of us who are going to enjoy the expanded coverage, as much as I, I love BDM and Rich Hagen too, he was my first interview on here, and believe me, I there isn't much about him I don't love. <laughs> it would be nice to see the encompass of the personalities you have at that event and showcase them more. I want what I want is like you said, you want Rich and BDM in the booth for you want them there for the big matches the big games. But everything else in between, there's plenty of room for you guys to be out there in front of the camera and announcing matches like you do. I just think there's an opportunity there that they should use the talent. Well, I'm, I'm definitely excited to find out exactly what all of, all of these changes are going to entail. Because obviously, I don't know anything more than what was in that interview and the uh, the actual official announcement before the interview, but I'm pretty sure that we're gonna like it, and I'd have to think that as as resources, all the people who are gonna be involved with coverage next year, they're gonna be used to their fullest potential. How in the world does someone get to that position? I mean, I can only give you my story, which was you know where there was an opening and. Greg Collins sent me an email and said, hey, this is, we think that you're the guy to do it. Um, I actually don't know any of the other stories from, you know, the other guys that um, are doing coverage. Uh, Frank Lepore, is that how you yes. pronounce his last name? Yes. He's, he's actually a new addition, and it might be, you know, a good idea to see, you know, what his story is, exactly how he got involved. I know he helped out at a couple of Grand Prix, 
And then I don't know if he had any communication, if he initiated any communications with uh, Greg Collins. But uh, I don't know. My, my story, I guess I was really lucky. And the stars lined up. I, I started a, a coverage group at the same time that they needed a, a coverage person. So, If you want to say that, I always have a scenario of it's better lucky than good. Oh, I agree. <laughs> lucky is a lot easier than you know doing it the, the hard way and being good at it I have a question asked from Eric McCormick the watchman mm-hmm. I was supposed to ask you how sentence scout compares to Tarmagore <laughs> well you know they're basically the same creature they're, okay, they're not the same creature, but I, I I argued jokingly that, you know, they're both basically the same creature because, wait, 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 it wasn't Seton Scout and Tarmogoyf, it was Seton Scout and Werebear. That's what the argument was, which they were the same creature. It's hard. It's harder to argue that Seton Scout and Tarmogoyf are the same creature, <laughs> although if you if you really want me to, I probably could, but the <laughs> argument that I was making with uh, with Eric was that Seton Scout and Werebear was the same thing, because the mana didn't matter, and the four toughness didn't matter, and blah, 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 and he kind of, he kind of bought it a little bit. I had him at the dealers looking for some Seton Scouts, but I had to come clean, you know. Werebear's a little bit better. The mana doesn't. The mana does a little bit of something. The rest of the year, you got Nagoya. You have season two with Wizards expanding their coverage, the amount of tournaments. How can you do both? Well, it's possible that I. Well, this is what my plan is. Okay. My plan is to first figure out exactly what. Wizards of the Coast is going to be doing because they haven't given a lot of information on their their Grand Prix you know schedule. Basically, they just said, "Hey, here comes a bunch of tournaments. Get ready for it." And obviously, I, there's nothing I can really do with that. Um, if I end up having to, you know, if there's a Grand Prix on a weekend and there's a SCG live event that those guys want me to to um, you know, to be the director at, uh, there is a possibility that I'll be at a point where I can have two sets of equipment. But I really never enjoyed having two streams at the same time because I actually did that a couple of times where uh, U.S. Nationals and a SCG Open happened on the same weekend. Right, because you had Evan. It was me and Evan at the Open, and then it was Ray and um, Peter Martinez at U.S. Nationals. And everyone just watched U.S. Nationals because it was the more interesting tournament. So I don't think that, at least right now, there isn't enough of a view viewership that you know anybody benefits from having two events. You know, it's not like a sporting event where you have, you're like, well, I want to watch my hometown team or you have a favorite team. It's a magic tournament with a whole bunch of magic individuals and U.S. Nationals happen to have the more notable individuals, you know, as compared to the SCG Open. So I could see something similar happening if 
there's a SCG Live event being cast at the same time as a Grand Prix event. So, it, I don't know, it just doesn't, it just hurts both events, I feel. Or one of them just, oh, just overwhelms all of the viewers and no one watches the other. The fact that they're only going to release a partial schedule, does that not make it more difficult for you? Because you really do have to plan out your entire schedule as quickly as possible, especially for, like you said, vacation time and other things like that. Well, that would be very difficult. But I believe that although the schedule won't be released to the public, that that information will be available so, and I'm all, I'm already working with um, the coordinator for the Grand Prix, just the, the, the Grand Prix scheduling in North America, which is Laura Kilgore. Mm-hmm. Uh, I work with her even um, with Grand Prix, you know, this year. So I haven't talked to her yet specifically about next year, but I'm sure that, you know, I'm going to let her know my concern. And there there has to be some information given out to TOs, if anything, and I can, you know, get information from her. I'm sure I'll have information in advance enough to be able to provide coverage because Laura likes what I'm doing. I think other people at Wizards of the Coast like what I'm doing, and they want me to keep doing it. What do you do for fun? What do I do for fun? You said you have no time. What does Rashad do for fun? When, when I when I find time, yes. Uh, other than playing magic occasionally. Wait, you actually play magic? Sometimes. Every now and then, I find some time to play a little magic. Nothing really scheduled. Uh, I always play every pro tour. I draft and play EDH. I, I get my fill of magic at pro tours. Um, other than that, every now and then at home, I you know watch things on the internet. I play video games. When I find some time, do you enjoy sports? Do I enjoy? Uh, not, not as of lately. I used to really be big in sports, but this was a long time ago, and it wasn't really because I love sports. It was mostly because um, I was big into uh, like sport cards, sports cards, and some of the sporting video games. And so it kind of just behooved me to understand what was happening in sports to be better at, you know, those two things. So you're not reveling in the fact that you have a chance for your local team to potentially win an NBA championship? Well, I mean, I mean that's nice. I, I actually haven't watched any of the games, mostly because I don't have cable. But, um, you know. See, there's how much you're rolling in the money. You don't even have cable. <laughs> you're like one of four people in the United States that don't have cable. No, there, there, there are more of us out there. I, I just don't, I don't really watch television. Anything I want to watch, I watch on Netflix or I watch Hulu or I watch things on YouTube or I watch just stuff streamed live. I don't, I don't watch, you know, sitcoms. I don't watch sporting events. I don't watch, I don't watch television. If I turn on my television, it's because I'm turning on my Xbox or my PS3 or something. Do you rewatch the coverage? Rarely. I have we rewatched some coverage. In the beginning I would rewatch a whole tournament and you know, until I stopped becoming sick at the you know, sound of my own voice because that's I know I don't know if you 
ever felt that this way, but, you know, when you listen to your own voice, it just doesn't sound right. It sounds weird. And it took me a while to get used to that. Even if people said, you know, I like your voice, it sounds good, I'm like, no, it doesn't. It doesn't sound like what I'm hearing. I will tell you this. I edit these, but after I edit them, I don't ever listen to them. And I don't, only because I think you're exactly right with that, I think it's very difficult to hear your own voice because then you are your own worst critic. I'd rather have someone listen to the podcast, give me a tell me what they think, or so on and so forth, like with your coverage, to get that feedback from the people, to let them know, hey, you did a great job. It's probably better feedback, too. I don't know. I don't know that I always trust my own feedback because, obviously, it's biased. Because, you know, it's me. It's my feedback. Has the feedback from SCG Live coverage, they have a thing where they want you to submit your commentary and what you think, and all those guys over there review it. What is then their feedback to you about the coverage, about what you've provided? Not so far as what all the, the guys have been doing, but what you've provided. So are you asking what Star City's feedback is to us after they get in the information from the surveys? Correct. Well, usually they will just show us, I don't know if it's all of the survey uh, feedback, but a good amount of the survey feedback, they'll just send straight to us so that we can read through it. So um, we're, we're able to see what you know these guys are saying directly unfiltered at least i believe what has been the feedback from the the group directly that's been working with you for scg live uh, there i mean they appreciate what i'm doing obviously uh, the only real feedback are you know event specific things like well the the stream was a little bit choppy or you know the mic levels weren't as good as they were um there were i mean in general I think in general, I think I'm doing a pretty good job, and I think they also believe that I'm doing, you know, a pretty good job. And, you know, they're just those specific things that could be fixed. And, you know, I usually fix them the next event. So whenever I see anything that they say, you know, this should be like this or this should be like that, I just make sure it's like that. It seems like this is becoming a, a very good relationship that you're developing with them. We've talked about the fact that you have a bigger vision than just magic with this that you'd like to go into other realms mm -hmm. are you still wanting to do that well i wanted to go into you know doing some video game tournaments because you know that's one of my original you know competitive gaming loves and i still love to watch like street fighter and games like that and i love to play them still and you know, it's it's a very it's actually a pretty crowded area, but it's still something that I that I want to do. I kind of want to be all encompassing as a gaming media site. You know, not just you know Magic. I want to do video games. I want to do other other card games. You know, any any type of games. I've done was it miniature games? I think we did the Star Wars. Nationals or something one year. Really? And yeah, it's it was one of our it was at one of the Gen Cons. It was a pretty early thing. It was kind of spur of the moment. I think it turned out okay. 
but I think there's a lot of games out there that people play and want to know what's going on in the professional realm of those games. Didn't know there was that big of a market. I know we talked before about the fact of the Street Fighter tournament had, what, 20,000 hits or whatever it was at the time? Yeah, the, yeah Street Fighter tournaments get so many viewers now. It's it's like a non-major tournament, Five to 10,000 people will watch. Mostly because Street Fighter is easier to watch than, you know, a game of Magic. If you're not already invested in Magic as a game, you can't just jump in and watch it. Is that difficult, too, kind of giving people the learning curve of how to deal with magic? Because a lot of people that watch it, you know, they say, oh, I can't see the cards or, you know, I'm, you know, I can't see their hand. What are those difficulties like dealing with as far as trying to give them that, even though a lot of times the guys will slide the cards off the screen by accident or certain situations? Well, I think... At least personally, I have, I understand that the audience, you can't really bring in, you know, novice Magic the Gathering players and expect them to be captivated by, by this. There would have to be a lot of additional, like, graphics and information that's given to, you know, the viewer in order to make it so that every card that they're unfamiliar with they would, you know, get the name, be able to see the, the card, read the text, and understand how the card works. So I think that, I think this is, this is across the board from my coverage, any text coverage anybody's doing, any recordings anyone's doing, and even the top eight streams for, for Pro Tours. If you aren't already invested in professional magic, if you're, if you're not already familiar with the decks that people are playing and what the cards do, it's going to be really hard for you to stay engaged. So the hardest form of coverage to do must be a standard sealed event where there's no specific deck style. Yes, sealed decks are pretty tough because you basically have to know almost every card. I'm not going to say every card because there there are a few cards that you know just aren't going to make it into someone's deck. But there's always, and then there are cards that always make it into decks. So you know your your limited staples, which are the cards that you should recognize more readily. But then you know you have every now and then someone plays random, uncommon that they picked twenty, like their the twenty second card in their in their sealed deck or in their in their draft deck, and you're like, what does that do? And you know, it, just things like that. Um, it's hard to, it's already hard just to get someone engaged into seal deck coverage because it's, it's hard to relate if you are a casual to semi pro-ish magic player. You are used to playing magic by, you know, taking a collection and then making a deck. And if you get to the point where you're making decks that are similar to the decks that people are playing, then at least you have some familiarity. At least there's something that's familiar between what you're doing and what, you know, you're watching the professionals do in the coverage. But seal deck and draft, those are mostly foreign to anyone who considers himself any type, any level of casual. And it takes a lot of, 
you need a lot of sealed decks and drafts under your belt before you can recognize, you know, archetypes and the exact cards that people should be playing and will be playing and are playing in, you know, a live stream of a sealed deck tournament. Have you ever been unable to get to a event due to unforeseen circumstances? Um, I don't I actually don't think I've missed any events. I've been to every GP since last year. So I went to every well, I went to every North American GP last year. I've been to every GP so far in North America this year. Been to every Pro Tour. The only events that I've missed were some SCG Opens last year. One of them I missed because I was in um, I was actually at a WoW TCG event doing a stream. That was another double stream that we did. Uh, there was one other event that I missed because. I needed to take a weekend off to move to a new apartment. And and I, I don't know that I was, you know, like, man, I missed this event. I wish I could have been there. Obviously, if I was available, I would have been there. But, you know, it, it was just two events that I just, you know, couldn't make it to. So I didn't, I didn't, you know, I wasn't upset that I didn't make it there. So far, there hasn't been any events that I couldn't go and I've been upset about. I mean, there's a lot we could talk probably for hours, and it's nine o'clock your time, and and I appreciate you giving me time. I know, I know the schedule's been really rough. How can people get a hold of you, send comments, things like that, to give you feedback on what you're providing for them? Oh, uh, my email is rashad at gg'slive.com, so that's that's one way to contact me if you want to email me. Um, you can friend me on Facebook. I usually don't. You know, I, I accept all all comers on on Facebook, so feel free to friend me there. Um, if you want to give Gigi's Live some input specifically, the best way is through either our website. We have a contact, you know, email us link on the website. That's gigi'slive.com. Or if you are already on Facebook, just join the Gigi's Live fan page. And, you know, post a message there. I get all those messages. And that's where our biggest group of, you know, people who enjoy what we're doing, that's where they all hang out. It's something to me that when you have a passion for something like you do, that it shows. Another reason why you gather even more respect from the people that are at these events because they know what you do. And they know how hard it is to do it. I really appreciate your time. There are a lot more questions I'd like to ask. I'd love to go into the background as you as a judge. I would love to go more into your background as a player. But that's what the next interview will be about more. And obviously by then we'll have a larger scale. Next time we could be talking about how's it feel to be in the booth. Awesome. I can't wait. For the Men of Magic, I'm Robert Martin with Rashad Miller. Thank you again for listening. Thanks.